Hey everybody, welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 34, and I'm Michael Howard, the founder and CEO of Musea. So for this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with wedding photographer James Mose. Um, but before we get into our conversation, there's a couple things I want to uh, throw out there and announce. Um, we still got the tickets for the Musea Gathering on sale. There's going to be one in New York City, and there's going to be one um, in Seattle, uh, next summer, the New York city one is going to be the end of February, 2013. Um, so if you're looking for a unique education event, um, it's going to be a three day event in New York city. Um, you have Sam Blake is going to be talking the first day. The second day you're going to have Spencer Lum is going to be teaching. And then the third day is going to be John Dolan and Holger Thoss. And so I've done podcasts with all three of these, actually four of these, uh, people. And so if you're interested in them, uh, you can go to the Musea, podcast page on itunes and um go just kind of filter through the old ones on there um especially from this past summer and you will be able to um hear my podcast with them if you want to get to know them better um specifically the people that are teaching at the new york city one um but if you want more information or you want to get tickets to that uh you just go to museagathering.com um also i'm going to be doing some talks um, basically just a presentation over my long-term vision at Musea and kind of a state of the industry um, chat in a way. Um, and it's going to be, I'm going to be doing two of them. One's going to be in Nashville next week, actually. <clears throat> and then one's going to be in New York City on November 30th. And it's actually going to be at Spencer Lum's studio in New York City. So I would love to see you there if you're interested in uh, what Musea is going to be doing for the long term, you know, next year. And even what, you know, our like five-year and ten-year kind of goal is with this company and where we're headed. So I would love to meet you there and just to share my vision about Musea and where this thing is headed. So you can just go to the Musea Facebook page. It's just facebook.com slash mymusea and just click on events. And then you can see um, both the events there. And then you can just RSVP so I know uh, how many people are coming and all that stuff. Uh, also... Um, a huge congrats to all the photographers that are using the Musea store. Uh, we have now donated enough money to water.org that 10 people so far this year in 2012 are going to have clean water for life. Uh, and so every every time uh, anybody sells any work through the Musea store, 2% of that goes straight into water.org. And so, so far we've affected the life uh, lives of 10 people. And so huge congrats to all the wedding photographers out there and portrait photographers that are using the store. I appreciate your support. And I just want you to know that you're making a di real difference in the lives of others uh, through using our service. So thank you so much. Um, also with the Musea store, real quick, uh, the favorite system, we are still working on it. That thing is a beast. It's proving to uh, be about 10 times harder than what we thought it was going to be. And so we're still hammering it away. Uh, I saw it this week. It's looking, uh, it's looking great. It's getting really close to being done, but uh, there's just... We're, we're trying to do some unique things with it, and it's just uh, proving a little trickier than what we thought it would be. Um, but hopefully that just means it's just going to be crazy awesome whenever we launch it. So but we're going to try to get that out really soon. We're, we're cranking away on it, and they're going to work on it some more, uh, I think, next week. So thank you for your patience on that. And uh, just just know that we haven't uh, we haven't forgot that about that, getting that launched out there. So we're working on it. Um, yeah, so that's it. So for this podcast... Um, had a talk with James Mose. He's a wedding photographer up in Seattle. And um, we talk a lot about uh, his kind of sense of adventure. He kind of does almost like these hiking portrait sessions in a way. Uh, we talk about his inner anthropologist and how he has learned to avoid making cliche images. Uh, so I think you will really love hearing from him. He's a great guy, uh, very creative, very artistic. So uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thanks.
Well, James, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm excited to chat with you today. I think this will be fun. How are you? I'm well. I'm excited. <laughs> so, um, how'd you get started in photography is my obvious first answer that I always ask everybody, um, just so uh, I get more familiar with your history and where you're from and all that jazz. Yeah, my, growing up in like high school, my mother had a Pentax K1000. Remember, she took like a photography class locally. And so that was probably my first sort of introduction to manual cameras and photography. Then in high school, I worked on the school newspaper. In college, I worked for the, the college newspaper, and I was actually the visual editor or art director. So I didn't take too many photos necessarily, but I was really into design. As well, during college, I studied art. I took only like one photography class, but I think that's what opened my eyes to see. Um, and it was at the time I had a good camera, so friends asked me to shoot their wedding. And somebody saw that wedding, and somebody saw that wedding, and somebody saw that wedding. <laughs> and uh, eventually, I decided to go full-time. Um, and it's been five years, full-time. Okay. So you're... <clears throat> So 2007 or so? 2008. So I'm, this is like the end of my fifth season. So okay. I could say four and a half years or five seasons of wedding photography. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, did you grow, I mean, because I know you're from Seattle, so did you grow up in that area there? or? I grew up in Canada, so I've okay. only been in Seattle like four years. So I just moved down essentially... Um, like a month before Obama was elected. So I think I'll just, I'll know my time in America by presidential terms. Um, <laughs> so I grew up just outside of Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. Yeah. And so I lived there until I moved. So it's only, it's only two and a half hours north. So we still go up quite often and I still do some work. This coming weekend we'll be up for Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, as far as being an American... Well, I guess I was born an American because my mother is American, but it's only been in the last four years that I've really been in, been on American soil. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about, um, more about, I guess, your, the college or like the art school and, you know, just some of the ways that that had benefited your career, I guess, just a little more in depth. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a Christian liberal arts university, but I was in the art program. And I'd say there's a couple of things that benefited from that education. Um, the first one would be, like, the debt. So having some school debt makes me want to work harder. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I think what the, what an art program does is it, it teaches you to avoid cliches, mm. um, teaches you the value of, of a good critique, both – um, from other people, but also you learn to critique your own work in a way um, that is healthy, that pushes your pushes your art towards something that's a little more nuanced and less uh, cliched. Because um, I think that's what, uh, if anything, academia tries to avoid is cliche, and that's whether whether that's in the art classroom or for your philosophy or theology paper is if you can find a new way to say something, try find that if you can pigeonhole yourself into a, a corner, that's cool too. Um, so I think that really helped out. The other thing that actually, an interesting byproduct of being an art student or art slash media student is that I made friends with other artists and designers. And so for shooting weddings, some of my first clients were artists and designer friends who had more interesting weddings than the average wedding. So that kind of helped kind yeah. of push a bit of my set early yeah. on. Um, yeah, I love the idea of uh, the critique. I mean, I went I went to an art school. Well, I didn't go to an art school. I went to like a state school, but I went uh, – I had my BFA in photography, and so I went through the whole art program there. Uh, and so I completely understand what you're saying about the critique and the cliche thing. Um because so many photographers that I, or just even the last 10 years, everything's, you know, 
online now in terms of education, a lot of ways, everybody's just kind of self-taught. Um, and I don't think you don't get that, uh, that really in-depth critique. Um, I think, you you know. think even with outside of like, uh, avoiding cliches is that mm. I think you're really pushed in college to avoid plagiarism <laughs> and, uh, or even within art, do something your own way. Yeah. And what I think is tragic a lot is people, um, rinse and repeat and directly copy other people's work. Um, and that's a good way to maybe learn, but that's not something you want to show if you want to attach to your name. So that importance of having your own stamp on it, and if it, it looks like somebody else's, you avoid revealing that, I think is like a virtue that not everybody understands. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, what did, what did, um, you know, in terms of like the critique and the cliche thing, I mean, is that just something that they would address with you uh, in class? I mean, because I'm just curious how your the the workflow went for like a you know class because like what we would do is we would in photography class we got to pick like our own assignment so everything we did was like self assigned basically but like every four to six weeks we would have um, about a three hour critique on everybody's work you know and we mm. just you know there'd be like 10 of us and we'd all just sit in a room and just talk about each other's work for like three hours you know um, every few weeks. And that's one of the things I miss a lot. And that's one, that's when a lot of, through that talking, that's when a lot of that conversation would get into like, oh yeah, you're doing this and it kind of is cliche this way or, you know, and people would see things in your work that maybe you wouldn't see, you know, cause, just cause you're so close to it. Yeah. Um, but is that, I mean, is that, it's kind of a similar format to how your education went there? Did you have those really long critiques like that? I don't know if they're as long. I'm trying. I can't. I think it was because it, I wasn't. I have a BA in art, yeah. so I took a, a lot of creative writing, theology, philosophy classes. Um, it wasn't probably as in depth a program, so it was more. It wasn't until my final year that I had really studio, um, and it was with had longer critiques. So I can't really say specifically, but I mean I, I do miss a lot of that. Um, the the camaraderie mm-hmm. and having classmates doing things and critiquing um, it's more I think what I've learned to do is internalize it a bit um, but I tried to connect with other photographers locally but still it's not much of a critique session I think because in some ways it's not like we're exploring much new yeah. work kind <laughs> 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 of know what each other are about um, and so I think it's only when I'm pursuing some new work that I'd want a, a critique, the full critique. Yeah. Do you do a lot of personal projects or anything? I have a lot of good intentions. <laughs> Don't we I all? I think that's been interesting for me. Um, like I have a wife and a three-year-old son mm. and we're expecting other. And I think the past four years, um, four or five years has been sort of like having horse blinders on. Mm-hmm. to establish my business and feel to support my family. So it was kind of, for me, it was how can I make enough money to support my family? How can I have a portfolio that I am proud of? And th- those are pretty much my two goals. Um, and I think it's only been the last year that I've really gone a lot more internal and in trying to trying to answer the question, well, why am I doing this? What other work can I do? What else interests me? How can I further understand my process? Um and that's been a bit of a, a slow and painful process. Yeah. But it's fun at the same time. <laughs> oh, definitely. Sure. It's rewarding. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've done some personal projects or travel. I've worked with, I've collaborated with a hairstylist on some shoots. and But it's been more of experimenting. And I haven't really um, tried to bring it all together or, or reveal it too much. Um, but I want to kind of just keep working on, um, working with, interesting people and then looking at that work six months every six months or so and seeing patterns within that yeah yeah um since you've you know uh everybody that i talked to that's kind of started at least full-time 
especially around 2008, 2007, um, and I guess, you know, later, um, I'm always interested to figure out or just talk to people about how they have built a successful business during that time because um, it's probably one of the harder times to have started a photography studio. And so I'm just curious on what are some of the steps that you took to get to where you are today and to kind of build something successful for, you know, you and your family that you just touched on. Yeah. I mean, I think the economic, what would you call this economic recession or yeah. It's been, there's a few things with that. A, it's, it's a really big word that I don't necessarily understand. And living in Seattle, and living in Seattle, to be honest, we don't see it as much. Maybe house prices have gone down a bit. Um, but you have Starbucks, Amazon, Boeing. Uh, Microsoft, all that. Soft, you know, like there's a lot of work here. Um, and uh, Vancouver, where I can't come from, still has some of the highest house prices of all time. Um, so I think the West Coast doesn't hasn't seen it in the same way middle America has. Um, mm. I think one could say with an economic uh, recession is that people start looking uh, to different institutions for a sense of certainty or a, cer- a sense of security. So I think, so in some ways, more people get married during a recession than otherwise because it's at least something that's stable in their life. That could be argued. I don't have exact stats on that, but I've heard more conversation about that. Um, the other thing is digital technology has been revolutionized during this time. So the the learning curve on how to how to uh, take a great picture in low light and in interesting light situations is has been vastly improved. So that's kind of the time that came along. The other the other thing that has come along since 2008 has been wedding blogs and um, just the. Dip- a really boom in social media concerning the wedding world. I wouldn't, I only do 30% of my work in Washington. I wouldn't be able to be doing any of the work I'm doing in California or across the continent if it weren't for wedding blogs. I've never advertised. I've had work featured online and that's what got me work. Would that have happened pre 2008? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but not to the same extent that it is happening now where a lot of photographers. Um, sense of locality has less to do with their geography and has more to do with their aesthetic. Um, so I think it's been a great time to start a business. As much as, you know, maybe the weddings are no longer ten to $20,000 each, like the big names we're talking about eight years ago, but I don't know if I would ever want to be part of that world anyway. So, Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, go ahead. I don't really come face to face in some ways with the economic crisis. It's been kind of an abstract to me. Yeah, um, I think weddings, wedding world can be kind of an abstract world at times. So I can totally understand that. Um, what are? Do you have any tips for people on like how to get? published on blogs successfully because there's some some shooters really want to get published on blogs and then some shooters they could care less because they are interested in things that photographically that maybe the blogs aren't really interested in you know um but obviously you've had some success with it so how how have you what have you kind of learned in terms of submitting to blogs and what works and what doesn't essentially Interesting weddings get shown, and interesting work at interesting weddings will really get shown. I don't really think that it's too difficult a formula, um, but I think there's, there's enough of ordinary weddings out there that good photographers not going to make that ordinary wedding look more inspiring to a bride. It might make the wedding more flattering, but I think what wedding blogs are interested in is Something that's a, something that's a little different, and um, hopefully you get those right clients. And I guess if you really want to get on a wedding blog, um, 
fast to find interesting clients and negotiate with them if you're if you're if you're willing to do so on a price point and call that different in the negotiation your advertising or marketing costs for the year. Mm. How do you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was gonna ask like, how do you? attract those type of clients because you know looking at your website and your blog you obviously work with like a very set type of person it seems like or set type of wedding at least in terms of just what you show um so how do you get those people on a consistent basis because a lot of photographers i know would love to work with those people all the time i mean some of it's luck i mean i think where even i've said i come from an art design background before I was in wedding photography. I worked at an interactive agency in Vancouver, so I was in the design world. So some of my first clients were fellow designers and photographers and, and artists. Um, so I had already a base in my portfolio to fall back on um, that people resonated with and that, that keeps attracting it. So I guess like the, um, I always know Ken, like kensjournal.com. But he wrote he wrote some book about some ebook. But he, he confesses within his ebook that he had like an Ivy League education and that he worked in um, television in New York. So a lot of his first clients were fellow Ivy League um, graduates um, who were getting married in Jamaica, who had money, who are little, um, who are of a certain class of society. But that's the class of society that he knew how to speak to and speak with. He was part of that. So for me, it's like, be an artist. You're going to be around fellow artists. It'll be natural for you to work with other artists. If that's not a priority in your, in your regular life, it's going to be hard for that to be a priority in your work and how you show your work. Um, I think one, one big thing for me has been only showing the work that really resonates with me. I do a lot of um, everyday weddings. I don't just show them. And for me, it's if you have a blog that, you know, on page four, you have a creative wedding, but the first three pages are sort of interesting, but not super novel work. Uh, a prospective bride might not even get to the second page because she'll be like, oh, this doesn't really resonate with me. So for me, it's like I only want to show work that resonates. I want a bride coming to my site and a groom coming to my site that just go, yes, 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 yes. That's all. Mm -hmm. Less about having more content and keep putting more content out there because it needs to be fresh. People think I'm dead if I don't show fresh content. My thing is every, all the content you show should just simply be good and good content stays fresh. Yeah. Because your your site's like kind of like a, is it a? Would you say it's like a one of those like blog type slide, sites, or do you just consider it more like a, a blog? I'd consider it like a portfolio, but it's kind of it, it teeters the line. It doesn't it doesn't have comments really. Yeah. So I call it a blog. I think that's a big value of a blog is that it kind of has a conversation. So. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I would love to have a blog at some point. I would just want to reveal a different side of me. I think a lot of people, um, I think it's starting to change. But two, three years ago, people would have a uh, blue domain portfolio, slash portfolio, or if they had a little more money, uh, uh, they would have a live books portfolio. And then they'd have a WordPress blog. Um, but as uh, iPhones and iPads came out without Flash, I think everybody kept going straight towards uh, the HTML blog and avoiding the portfolio. And I think photographers themselves stopped updating their portfolios. And so what they had, to me, in my my mind, have a chronological blog, no, a chronological portfolio, aka blog, and then sort of a, a defunct portfolio. Um, and so there's a bit of redundancy there. And I saw a disservice being done on the blogs if the content at the top wasn't that interesting. So I thought, well, I just want a portfolio. And if I'm going to blog, I'd rather have it be something like a commercial photographer would have, which has more behind the scenes or tips to other photographers. Um, but I haven't, I haven't 
uh, haven't had the courage to figure out how to reveal a different side of myself. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, because a lot of, a lot of photographers, they do struggle with their blog and folio portfolio site, just like you said. And a lot of people are kind of just mishmashing the two, you know? Um, but I think the point you're touching on, I think is pretty, pretty key that I see a lot of maybe photographers making a mistake on is the whole chronological thing. Um, because just because a work is the newest, your newest work doesn't necessarily mean it's your best work, you know? Yeah. Um, have now like certain posts always at the top or links to their best posts at the top. I think that's smart if you're going to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So you don't have to, cause a lot of, a lot of photographers that have blogs, they do post like a lot of their new shoots or whatever, but um, you know, I've had conversations online and stuff with people where they struggle with, well, do I blog something from every session because I don't want to let down my clients because they feel, you know, then they ask like, well, how come I wasn't on your blog or whatever, you know? So you kind of, you, you get to kind of avoid all that, that trapping, I guess right now, huh? Yeah. I, I didn't want to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no. Um, so when you kind of getting into your work a little bit, um, when you walk into a wedding to shoot a wedding, what are you looking for? Oh yeah. I answered this question on paper. Magic, uh, uh, magic, action, smart composition, good style, interesting details, joy. I mean, everything. I think there's there's a couple of hats as photographers we wear, and that's like one, the technician. So I'm looking for good light, interesting compositions. Um, looking how to figure out how to clean the room, um, and then the, set, the other one is just trying to understand the people and their relationships more, so I can understand the spirit of the wedding. Um, the other thing I'm probably looking for is a connection both with, with in people, but also with me to everybody. So I want to be able to build a connection with the bride, mother, the bridesmaid, the groom, the groomsmen. So I, um, especially as I start the wedding, is to be able to build that rapport. So by the end of the night, um, I'm not a nuisance, but a friend. and Or not a nuisance, but a part of the party as well. Do you... Just looking at your portfolio side, it seems like color is a big thing for you. Because, like, I, I pull up your site and you have, you know, you have a cover image for all these different shoots, you know, that you can click on and expand. But I think there's only one image of all the cover images that's black and white. So is color something that you're just, just really important for you that you're really attracted to? If, if the if the colors at the location are bad, you know, it's straight convert to black and white. But um, uh, I think color, I haven't really thought about it too much. I mean, I think color has a lot of life to it, so why not use it? I really like black and white reportage, but as far as like portraits go, I think uh, color is a beautiful thing. This world is black and white. I don't want to show it that way all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it seems like a lot of your colors are very, uh, I don't know, you, I don't know if it's something that you work with your clients on or if it's something that you, it just happens for you, but it seems like a lot of your pictures, whether it's when you're even out in like some of these wilderness settings or wherever, or even some of the interior images you have, but it seems like you always almost have like at least one I don't know, like focal point color, like maybe the girl has a like a pink dress on in the middle of like a yellow field or something, but you tend to have you tend to have something that pops off and it's typically the clothes of the clients. So is that something you really work with them on or is that just just happens naturally because you're working with like artsy couples and they typically wear they like the bright stuff? The latter. Uh, there wasn't something I noticed for a while and I was like, wait, people have like a red jacket or a red dress and I haven't, I've never like worked with a stylist for a shoot, but I think I started being aware of it, I think a year or two ago. And then I, since then 
if people, if clients do ask about color, I usually say, you know, I still say keep it fairly simple on the pattern front. But if anybody's going to have the bold color, um, I prefer it to be uh, the woman rather than the man. So, and then I think for her to stand out is a beautiful thing. So usually you'll see that it's like her wearing the red jacket or the pink dress, the red dress, the yellow jacket. Um, But a lot of that, I really, for me, I, I want my work to be as a photographer working out the compositions and building a space where they can reveal themselves. As f- I don't want to have my footprint on too much of the posing and too much of the wardrobe that if they look back in three years, they go, oh, that was a very James Mose type look we had. But it was like, that is us at this time. Um, and he was able to reveal that. And that's kind of my goal. So I haven't um, done too much in a way of uh, styling couples. Other than, you know, it, I'd say bring a few up there and I might go like, oh, I think that'll work probably work best, but still from their own wardrobe. Yeah. I, I can understand the role of a stylist that, you know, they can help you reveal even a better side of yourself because you're terrible at shopping and the stylist knows how to work with you better. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to necessarily, but I, that's not the way I've ever approached things. There's something else like, I'm like, as we're talking, I'm actually just going through your work right now. Um, but there's something else I notice about your work, and I didn't notice it previously. And I don't see a lot of photographers do this. Um, they actually do the opposite of what you're doing. But it, And I don't even know if you've noticed this a lot, but you tend to use the center of the frame a lot. Um, I mean, your compositions are strong, uh, but I feel like you have, there's a tendency to... Uh, Whatever is important in the frame, you you somehow position it based off of the center, whether you actually stick it in the center or you purposely leave a void right in the middle, um, mm-hmm. which draws attention as well. Most people I see anymore, they want to try to push stuff all the way to the edges of the frames as much as possible because they feel like that's being creative, I guess. Um, because, oh, look, I framed it way, way, like on the, on the, like the 5%. You know, that's all the way to the right, and I'm almost cutting somebody's head off. Um, but you tend to, it seems like you just don't have a fear of, like, putting people smack in the middle, which, you know, one of the first things they teach you, like, in photo one is, like, don't put it in the middle, but for some reason you can make it work. So can, talk about your compositions a little bit and if you've even noticed that and how you shoot. Well, I think, like, there's a different way I approach um, my reportage and my portraiture. And I think within portraiture, I, I think it's very classic to put somebody in the middle. I also work with 24 millimeter a lot. And if you don't put people in the middle, it's really unsoldering. But if you put them in the middle, you can get away with it. Mm. For portraits, I'm usually working 24 and 50. So I don't know. I think it's a classic way to work. Um, maybe, maybe it's because Canon only has really one focus point in the middle. So that's what I use. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I the other I, could have been like earlier when I was starting out. I wanted to be more clever, and you know, like have the composition somebody's head in the far corner, or you know, ton of negative space above. Um, I think the longer I shot, the more I have appreciated a really classic portrait. Um, you know which my mom probably laughs at me now because that's what I wasn't doing when I started out, when I was trying to be as clever as possible and as interesting as possible. I think when you have interesting subjects, you don't need to do much. You kind of want to get out of the way. And so if you can put them in a nice spot in the middle, that is very flattering. I think the tendency is, well, this picture is looking kind of boring, but um, that might have to do with... uh, might have more to do with the subject than the composition. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds well, really harsh. Yeah, or you could, or you could say you're. I mean, would you say also that maybe like as a, if you're not enjoying what's going on in front of the frame, maybe it's like the lack of engagement that you're 
that the photographer is getting out of the subject. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah. So you're not able to win them over or charm them. I might as well make it at least compositionally interesting, you know. Um, but if you're able to kind of really find a bond or to, you know, take or, or get them in a space where you see a sort of self-confidence within them, that picture is profound already. Um, like I said in my portfolio, like one of my favorite photos is actually, so it's, uh, uh, I guess, third row down, third picture over, like the Todd and Claire in the canoe. But if you go, oh, I need to change my code there. Uh, <laughs> first in the, uh, in the in the gallery, yeah. just them and they're. I mean, the lighting is perfect, the setting is perfect, and there is, I mean, their wardrobe is perfect, and they're with their two dogs. Like, I don't want to be clever there because they're saying so much already. Um, mm. I mean, there are certain ways I in the post practice and it kind of works with the light from the side as well. But um, there it's like, I think the, the danger is to overthink it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I think that's a great, that's a great point. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I love the fact actually that you keep stuff a bit in the center and it's interesting that you shoot. So you shoot some of your portraits with the 24 millimeter, like you just wide angle and just shoot it that way. Yeah. Some 24, some 50. Like that, those have been 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's another thing that I feel, and I don't I don't know if you do this on purpose, but it seems like, you know, a good creative challenge is maybe to use gear that um, purposely makes it hard. And so, like, getting a pleasing portrait with a wide-angle lens, especially like a 24 millimeter, which is really wide. I mean, it's obviously a step up from, like, a 35 in terms of distortion. Um, but getting a solid portrait out of that that doesn't look distorted and just funky presents kind of some creative challenges and limitations that you have to work in. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the 24. I mean, I really like the 35. And it, you know, 35 is a, a lens you could just have on its own all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the challenge of the 24, both within portraits and reportage, is that it really forces you to to keep moving to get that composition right um, because it's difficult to work with. So, yeah, I think, I think for a long time, actually I just had a 24 and 50 in two bodies. And then slowly I worked in a 45 tilt shift and a 135 and a 35. Um, but I think my, I still, I still like that balance. I know there are other people with 35, 85, um, 2450 works for me. Um, so, yeah, talk, um, talk a little bit also about one of the things that when I look at your work is this, uh, and it may just be because you live in the Northwest, but this sense of kind of adventure and I'm almost just looking at your work. I almost seem like it's something that, you know, you're kind of known for at least some sort of like a, like a niche or something, but you have like these kind of hiking portrait sessions and you basically put people in really nice clothes, but you look like you're really deep into the forest or you had to walk like three miles to get to the coast or something. Um, so talk about a little bit of those type of shoots you do and how you pull all that off without trashing somebody's clothes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, that was interesting when you asked me that because I was like, hey, I never really noticed that you know, that sense of adventure. But I think it's probably because it's, I have a lack of that in my life. So I could, if I can, if I can do it with my clients, then I'll get it out of my system. Um, I'm not really sure if that's true or not, but right. <laughs> like there's, there's a few reasons for that. I don't, one, I don't find the architecture in Northwest to be that inspiring. Like both Vancouver and Seattle are very young cities, but the beauty of the cities is because of the nature that is around it. So why not embrace that? Whereas if I was in like New York or Philadelphia or Boston, I feel like there's a certain sort of heritage that I'd want to work with, or if I was in Europe. Um, so I think that's what kind of pushes me towards nature on one end. Um, and the other one is, as far as like portrait shoots go, I think it's a it's a, a very natural way to um, 
to get to know a couple. For me, it, it, doing an engagement shoot is very much like very literally a walk in the park um, where I want to see how they interact. And so I let them walk. Then I come closer, take some pictures. I back away, let them have their time, and I step in again. But it becomes a very um, relaxed pace and a very relaxed way to get to know them and just walking down a path and just talking to them about their life. The more I get to know them, the more trust we build. By the end of the shoot, we're very relaxed. Um, whereas I don't know if I could do the same thing in a, in a rush city. I think the other thing is probably in nature, there's less people around. Um, and the less people around, the less self-aware we are in front of a camera. And I don't want people who, to be too self-aware the whole time. Um, especially, most people say, you know, like, you get the inquiry and they're like, you know, just so you know, like, I'm really awkward in front of the camera. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be awkward if there's going to be tons of people around in the middle of Pike Place Mark in Seattle. Um, and relaxed. But if I can take them out of that space into a space where they're just kind of on their own with me and I can get them into, into a space where they are relaxed, I think that's going to make much more compelling portraits. So nature is just a convenient way to do that. Yeah. Um, how long do you, how long are one of these shoots? Cause instantly I would think like, gosh, just, he's got to be spending like at least half a day doing this, but maybe not. I mean, they could be in here from like two hours to six hours, but usually around two hours. Uh, okay. There might be some more time driving out to the location together um but i try to keep it about two hours yeah um yeah it seems i don't know okay well first i'm jealous because you're the look the the nature that's up there uh because my wife and i we just we did our 10 year 10 year anniversary trip up and around uh the pacific northwest uh in june and so that was the first time we've been up there where'd you go uh we went to like Olympic National Park. Uh, we just did like the whole all around there, and then we went to um, you know like the islands and stuff. Uh, you know, did some whale watching and some kayaking, um, all that. We didn't get up to we didn't go to Victoria or anything. We didn't get to mm-hmm. Canada, but um, we were halfway there, I guess. <laughs> so we could see it from uh, the islands, but um, yeah, there's such a variety of landscapes up there you know versus i live in nashville now um which there's a lot of great stuff in tennessee but it's not as varied i guess as up there Mm -hmm. because you literally have like four different (laughs) types of landscape it seems like um but going out to something like that like a hiking type portrait session or whatever you want to would want to call it like these adventure sessions um, it almost seemed like you're doing a little like micro vacation with the couple in a way, because, you know, when most people go on vacation, they typically go to somewhere where there's nature based, you know, we don't go, I mean, you don't go and try to spend as much time indoors as possible when you go on vacation typically. Um, so I, I didn't know if that was an aspect of getting people to, relax or have fun in terms of getting them into some sort of like a a micro like vacation, you know, more romantic mindset that way. I think so. Like, I think what I'm saying, even like a couple of going on a walk on the the park, I mean, what's the cliche, you know, I like romantic sunset walks on the beach. Mm -hmm. It's not always a beach. It might be a forest, but that's, if that's kind of what you have around you instead of a beach, that's what you do. Um, it's, I mean, it's even like within my own marriage, like things are healthy when we're going for walks in the evening together. Yeah. And it's it's a place where we do connect versus, you know, if we're in our living room, one of us is knitting, one of us is on a laptop, one of us is watching TV. That's three of us. Actually, it's my wife um, multitasking, knitting and watching TV. <laughs> but you know, there might not be as much real connection and much energy shared between the two of us other than kind of being in the same space. So I think like inviting a couple to, to get outside, I think, um, 
it's healthy for a relationship, which is romantic. Yeah. I guess, I guess you could say minification. Um, yeah, or at least a weekend. It's like a weekend trip-ish. Or a day trip, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my initial thought would be that it's something that's very obvious I would feel like in your work is that not only like if a client, potential client is looking to hire you, they would be looking at your images and I think they would say, I think the images speak of like, hey, you're not only going to get like beautiful, beautiful images, but there's also going to be a, a bit of experience that comes with it. So I'm also paying for the experience and a bit of adventure that comes along with this. Um, of hiring, you know, James versus another person. Um, and so it adds, it adds a bit of value to your work and separates you a little bit, I would think from other photographers and that, you know, that you're competing against. Would you th agree with that? Yeah, but I think it's, it's unintentional. Yeah. Like I think I want to attract couples that do this naturally. Right. Like I don't want to you never go outside. Well, I can't force you to go outside then. You know, like, <laughs> let's take, take a, your house. If that's more natural, that's going to tell more of a truthful story. But this is what I think is interesting. Um, so that, um, I think that's actually been a kind of a, a something for me moving forward as far as what who I am and what I am and what I reveal in my portfolio is that am I revealing too much nature and too little urban? Um, because what I'm about is people more than nature, um, but I'm about people who are individuals. Um, and I think one can, I like people who go outside. And I think they're usually a, bit, usually a bit more individual as in they're not just watching TV all day. Um, and that's not the type of client I want to attract is one who watches TV all day. Yeah. Um, but there are people who really, know how to live an interesting urban life and um, find really interesting urban venues. And I might not, I might be missing those and kind of being too, too heavy on the urban side. Yeah. But I think even with like outdoor weddings, it's easy. It's harder to have a cliched outdoor wedding than it is to have a cliched hotel wedding. And so if I can have a portfolio that avoids too many hotel weddings, that's a good thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hear you. Um, talk about, and when you just kind of just touched on it right there, which was on your about page, you have this kind of phrase where you say that you're have, or like you have like a, a bit of an inner anthropologist, I guess, uh, inside of you. So I'm curious what that, what that means for you. And if you can expand on that. Yeah. It just means I'm really curious about people and humanity and how we tick and what it means uh, for us to be and live in this world. I mean, I grew up in a, a Dutch immigrant monoculture in Canada. I mean, I didn't get to interact as much with people of different socioeconomic status, statuses, ethnic, ethnic backgrounds. Um, so for me, that's like photography affords me an amazing entry into other people's worlds, whether that's other religions or other, just other cultures um, or other ways in which friends relate and make sense of this life and, and explore this life. Yeah. So does that answer? <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, so you, even though like you do a lot of, you, you have obviously these shoots where you're outside and stuff, for you, it still comes back to about the people. It's not necessarily about the landscape. Like you don't necessarily see yourself as like a landscape photographer as, as you go, you know, in the future, everything you do is you feel like it's always going to be centered around people. Um, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm an extrovert, so I think I'll always want to be around people. Um, but I'm also, but as an artist, uh, People are, uh, this is going to sound bad, but like they are just another form within the composition. And so I think like landscapes are fascinating, like how, how to compose a beautiful landscape or how to compose a beautiful still life. I love shooting details at a wedding as well. And I think if I can 
shoot them in a way that's interesting with how the light comes in and compositionally. I think that's very satisfying to me. Um, and even if one was a landscape photographer, one would probably still traveling with people. Um, so whether the people are, are explicitly revealed or implicitly revealed, I think that's fine. Yeah. I'm just curious about life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you, you mean, you've been doing weddings for like five years. So do you feel like what would be the next outside of weddings? What would be a different type of genre or something you feel like you would want to explore next? Oh, I'd love for you to tell me. Um, I think that's a, that's a question I've been asking for a while. And it's not that I'm looking for an exit strategy. I really enjoy shooting weddings. Um, there, is a, there is a lifestyle thing of um, wanting to have some more weekends off in the summer, in the two-month summer Seattle has when I want to spend time with my family on the weekend. Um, but, yeah, I think within weddings, I've – I've been lucky that I've been able to build somewhat of a niche within with creative couples to shoot their weddings. Um, but then like the notion of like a commercial photography world, like that's super broad. I mean, the wedding, wedding world is broad enough and I've, I've somehow kind of pushed myself into some corner of it where I have a, a footing. Um, but to do that in a commercial world, I mean, there's just so many different places to go there. Um, and, and even one could say like fashion is like even the notion of fashion photography is a really broad term where one could be wanting to do high-end glamour editorials or one could be wanting to work with um, small, small fashion labels based out of Nashville or Oxford that make really nice Oxford shirts, you know, mm -hmm. like really nice underfitted menswear. Like that, that would still be fashion photography, but in a very different way than Vogue. Um, so I'm trying to explore, okay, what, where exactly within those other fields could I identify with and what kind of work can I build to go towards that as well to, to just flex some other creative muscles. So I'm not just um, working in weddings. Yeah. I think I, I used to see myself as a, as an outsider in the wedding world where I kind of came from an art background and a design background, but happened to be shooting weddings. And it's been interesting to kind of go like, wait, I'm like a full-time wedding photographer. Like I'm getting interested on like a wedding photographer podcast. Like I'm so not outsider anymore. Like what else am I doing personally? Um, but that's, that's just, anyways. Yeah. It, it, like I was saying earlier, I think I've had horse blinders on for about four years just get established. And so to see myself doing other work suddenly feels foreign, which is strange. Mm. No. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of photographers, especially wedding photographers that are in the same boat, you know, I mean, if they, they want to shoot other things or they want to experiment and play, uh, sometimes the realities of life restrict them from being able to do that as much as what they would like. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think you're alone, you know, in that, uh, at all. And I hope, and I hope, I mean, and my, you know, as an aside, the goal for this, the podcast here is not to always do like wedding people. <laughs> so they're, uh, the one that's actually going to release tomorrow, which when this one's going to air will be in the past, but it's actually a, with a fine art commercial photographer, so he does not shoot weddings at all. So that'll be that'll be good. But um, but yeah, I mean, do you think? I mean, what's your plan of attack to maybe find that stuff? Basically, just shoot a bunch of different stuff and just see what floats your boat the most, I guess. Yeah, that's one of the the, the first things. So I kind of I kind of already know what, in some ways, what attracts me. I just need to kind of keep doing that keep just like making time to work on those projects. And that kind of is over the next few months in the off season. Um, so I think finding like minded people to collaborate with, is a big one. Yeah. So, so you feel like you'll maybe go that way with the, um, more collaboration, um, 
conceptual something rather versus doing documentary stuff where you're just kind of walking around with a camera doing your own thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, kind of maybe like a business question would be, you know, if you could go back five years, um, you know, what is something you would do different than what you, which I guess you did, uh, you know, if there's any lessons you could fix (laughs) or mistakes you could fix, uh, what would, what would that be if you could go back and do, do things a little differently? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, I would, I would recommend, um, just becoming a much better technical photographer. I kind of with an eye, but not necessarily like knowing how to work my flash initially. Um, and just knowing my gear inside and out. And I think like, even just to take a real crash course with a, with a good established photographer to understand that right away would have been, would have been really good. I mean, part of that you only can learn over time as well to build confidence with it. The other one would be, um, I think doing a little more, uh, initial research as to like who within the industry do I really resonate with and then reach out to those people. Although I think like the industry right now is a whole lot more mature than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, years ago, I think four years ago it was, you know, you could find a few fresh faces that weren't doing cheesy work, but a lot of it was the cheesy or like really overdone yellow stained images. Um, and so I think like it's a little easier, I think now for photographers to find, um, interesting wedding photography that makes good sense. Yeah. I don't know how much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I definitely think the industry has, especially and even, yeah, especially from the art side of things has matured a little bit, um, which is exciting, you know, um, mm-hmm. I feel like one of the old like fuddy duddies cause I've been like shooting, you know, I've been shooting weddings for like a decade. So I feel old, <laughs> which is weird when it, I haven't been doing it that long, you know, but you know, well, huh? you feel it's changed or has it, has it matured or is it just yeah, I mean, I think I think it's matured, especially the last even couple years, quite a bit. I mean, and I think photographers are are wanting to see it mature um, a lot. Uh, they're looking for deeper, more meaningful conversations about photography. Um, I think some of the some of the middle 2000s, I think, uh, a lot of the work, I think, has really dealt with the surface of things, like that, you know, when you're referencing, like, the yellow yellow skies or whatever, you know, all that's about just surface treatments, textures, all, you know, all that kind of trendy stuff that has happened. Um, and there's still some trends going on now with, you know, some of these, like, unsaturated blacks and, you know, film, film-ish looking stuff. Um but it's getting closer to I think I think that I'm seeing more work now that's pro- is being produced that has less visual effects on it. That's like less obviously has less obvious post production on it. Um which is to me is more mature because if you're if you can crank out work that doesn't need these visual effects, um, then that typically means that kind of what we talked about earlier with your kind of center focusing or center composition um, thing was you're, you're, you're tending to let the subjects kind of speak for itself without trying to add something of your own that seems clever or interesting to make up for the lack of boringness that's actually that what you captured was actually kind of boring. So you had to add some yellow color to make it seem interesting visually, you know? Um, 
so I, I'm seeing more and more images that have those less effects on it, you know, than I than I did. And I probably some of that's probably also the nature of digital. As soon as digital was really getting popular there in the middle 2000s, the the natural thing is going to be, hey, let's just play with everything and just play with the digital. And I think some of that is kind of people are getting burnt out on it. And it's coming back to just strong subject matter, you know, which is where good photography has always been relevant, in my opinion. I didn't really answer your question, like, what other type of photography would I see myself doing? I think, like, if I would probably get specific now, I'd probably say, like, editorial portraiture. Yeah. Like, like fashion lookbook catalog type work, um, which is kind of involves a bit of adventure and understated portraiture. Like, something like an anthropology catalog seems pretty dreamy to me. I don't know. You know, I have a hard time saying I could do that, but that's it would fit very much, I think, in a way I, I kind of work. So. Yeah, I could see that where it's a bit, a bit lifestyle, like a bit like realistic, um, and not not the like really avant garde fashion stuff that's like otherworldly. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't make sense. Like I don't see you shooting stuff like Stephen Klein. I don't know if you know who he is, but <laughs> uh, I don't really look at his work too much. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he gets a lot of stuff published in like W Magazine or whatever, but his stuff is like from another planet. It looks, you know, it's like futuristic. It looks like it's from 100 years from now or some alien thought of it or whatever. So I'm more about reality and, and beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's good. Um, last thing, which is more of a gear question, just because I'm curious. Um, is like your reception pictures, you have this kind of weird spotlight effect, especially on like the dancing stuff. Yep. Uh, where do you, how do you get that? Yeah. So it's like, I have like a 24 millimeter on. Okay. And then I have my, like, my apertures, that can range. Anyways, my flash is like zoomed at like 80 or 110. And then. It's set at like 164th or 128th. And then my aperture can be like anywhere from like 5 to 9. I've actually been having it at like 9 lately and like ISO 250. And then wherever it, shutter speed can vary depends on whether you want light trails or not. But with like an F9, it's amazing because you can just set it to set your lens focus to like a meter, a meter and a half. And you can have on manual focus and you never have to focus. Because it'll pretty much get everything within a certain range. Yeah. Interesting. So, and then even there, I find having people in the center of the frame works really well with the 24. Yeah. So, and then that, and that way, being right in front of them and dancing with them helps out with that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's more of that center focus again. And it's always that spotlight, which is like dead center. Yeah. Um, um, they're in the bottom third of the frame. Yeah. And then if I need to do a bunch of dodging and burning to save that image if I want to save it. Um, whereas, right, that type of thing works really well with a center focus. And even there, I will cheat in post-production too. Um, with the center focus and the, the, the zoom flash, there sometimes can be a bit of distracting people on the outside where it's just like a bit of the side of their face or their shoulder. I will dodge and burn that out. So gotcha. I'm not, you know, I, I do lie with my folks, <laughs> but I feel I'm kind of what I'm more about focusing on what I want to tell the story. And if that's distracting, I can remove that. So, yeah. Yeah. You just don't want it part of the story, uh, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, all photographs are lies and to a large degree anyway. So I don't think, I think the myth of photography, it's a myth that like photography is truthful, you know? Oh, so totally. it's, it's really all lies. Um, oh, and that's, that's one of our part of it. Yeah. So. For sure. Well, dude, uh, thanks so much for talking with me. Um, it was great to get to know a little bit more about you and about your work and your process and, uh, I got a lot of out of that, so I think a lot of I think the listeners will get um, 
a lot of inspiration out of that. So I really appreciate your time. No, I thank you for interviewing me. And I thank you for like putting on this podcast. I think it's really, really great.